0: Thing about storms is that you often hear them before you see them. They're an amazing auditory phenomenon as much as a visual one, and composers across the centuries have loved reflecting their drama in music. If you think about it, a storm has an intrinsically musical shape, a gathering and a waning, a lovely crescendo and decrescendo, and the individual features of storms the cascade of rain, the rumble of thunder, the sudden burst of lightning, all of these you can quite readily symbolise on orchestral instruments, whether by ripples of vast scales or drums and cymbals. My name's Jonathan James, and these podcasts are, I suppose, about listening differently, both to music inspired by nature and to the music of nature itself. It's about deepening, or perhaps redirecting, our listening gaze. I love that expression. We're used to speaking about the gaze in visual arts, aren't we? And perhaps media, the male gaze, the female gaze, and how it directs our perception. Well, we can talk about the listening gaze too, how our ears can be trained towards different sounds and different perceptions. Later on in this podcast, I'll be speaking to sound artist and musician Jay Richardson to see how he plays with the listening gaze, and how he's captured the world of storms. Storms are such a gift for any composer, whether representing actual storms of nature, or more metaphysical ones of the soul, or even both at the same time. They're an invitation to let your hair down and to try out all sorts of dramatic effects. And the best place to start for dramatic effects are the 1600s because Baroque theatre relished putting on a good storm. I was reading about these amazing Baroque designs where, in order to create thunder, for example, they would roll iron or stone balls across the boards of a chamber in the proscenium arch. And you'd get this threatening rumble overhead. Or they found out that rippling a large metal sheet produced a similar effect. Wind machines with cloth stretched over a barrel that was whipped around date from the 1600s too, as do devices for imitating rain, which include pouring various materials through cunningly built tubes. Apparently, rice suggested a nice soft curtain of rain, whereas chickpeas gave a harder clatter, something closer to hail, perhaps. So this is a great place to start our brief survey of storms in music in the high drama of the Baroque period. One of the composers who is renowned for matching the onstage drama and all the effects there with musical effects was Rameau. Have a listen to how he brings those two worlds together in his opera. This is the thunder scene from Hippolyte et Aracy. The clattering of the harpsichords, the shock, offbeat drums, and the cascading strings all make for great stormy effects, don't they? Initially, conservatives of the day called this kind of special effect grotesque and noisy, but it caught on. And later, composers such as Vivaldi would take a leaf out of Ramo's book and do similar effects themselves. You're listening to Vivaldi's Sea Storm or Tempesta di Mare. did his very own sea storm as well they were obviously very much in vogue at the time and rather aptly he was going through a storm and stress period in his career the so-called storm and drang style uh, a set of poetic ideals where you bring out the tempestuous the darker side to human nature and you see how it's reflected in nature Here's his own Sea Storm, then Symphony number no. 39 in G minor, it has to be a minor key, doesn't it? And this is the finale, which is full of sudden flurries, booms, and cracks. <laughs> most famous pupil, if we can call him that, perhaps more of a mentee actually, was Beethoven. And he's the king of the storm from this period, the early 1800s. And I bet you saw this one coming, but in his pastoral symphony, number six, he wrote perhaps the most lifelike and terrifying storms of all the literature to date. It set a benchmark for other composers in how free and rageful it sounds. There's such an imaginative use of the orchestra here, from subterranean tremors on the double basses, through to the howling on the piccolo right up high, like an arctic wind. One person who really marvelled at what Beethoven was able to achieve on the orchestra was Hector Berlioz, who in his treatise on orchestration singles out the pastoral symphony as being a work of genius. And Berlioz had first-hand experience of an enormous sea storm that practically wrecked the ship he was travelling on, and some of that terror makes it into his overture to The Tempest. And I'm pretty sure that that music, I know this is a bit of a sort of circumlocutious way of doing it, but I'm pretty sure some of that overture to The Tempest in turn inspired this music that you're listening to now by Sibelius. Again, truly terrifying. And using that technique that Sibelius was so brilliant at, of overlapping sounds between the different families of the orchestra so they're all surging and swelling threateningly absolutely brilliant writing sequence there from the incidental music to The Tempest by Sibelius. So the case I'm making here is that some of the best storms in classical music have to do with how skillfully and imaginatively a composer can marshal the forces of the orchestra. And when it comes to storms, it does seem to be the case of the bigger the orchestra, the better the storm. So when we get to the 20th century with its massive orchestral forces, there are so many great storms to choose from. I'm going to do a quick quiz at this stage to keep you on your toes. Here are four excerpts of brilliant 20th century storms. See if you can name the composer and the piece. Here we go. So, how did you do? Four out of four, I'm sure. Let's see. The first one was the finale from La Mer by Debussy. Then we had the storm episode from the Alpine Symphony by Richard Strauss, perhaps the most literal representation of storm on record. Then more of a metaphysical storm, the second movement from Mahler's Symphony No. 5. And to finish, Britain's final C interlude from the four C interludes taken from Peter Grimes. Let's cross now into the actual sounds of storms and remind ourselves how musical and colourful these natural sounds are. You're about to hear a beautiful rainstorm recorded in Cambridge by sound artist Jay Richardson and what follows is our conversation about how he listens and his own insights into the world of storms. So that was Late Night, which is a working title, I believe, for a piece by the sound artist Jay Richardson. Now, Jay, I came across because I've just become involved with the Finzi Trust, and Jay is a Finzi scholar. Jay, what did you do on your Finzi scholarship?
1: I went to Hong Kong. Um, So I'd first been to Hong Kong about three years ago now as a tourist, um, visiting some friends. And I was completely blown away uh, and loved it, and I really wanted to go back and listen, um, listen more deeply. Um, I had very often heard people describe Hong Kong as noisy and loud, um, and for sure that chimed with some of my memories from when I was there. Um, But I also remembered parts of Hong Kong that were incredibly peaceful. I remember visiting Lantau Island for the first time, and it has this incredibly quiet and delicate and natural soundscape. So the idea of going back was to try and listen to uh, Hong Kong as in a musical way, um, and to see how much truth there was in this perception of it as a sort of chaotic mega city, or if I could actually capture recordings of the of the quiet and delicate sounds that I'd sort of caught glimpses of.
0: Um, the, the hidden sounds, I think you called it on your album, yeah. where you've caught some of this there in the concrete silence. Mm-hmm. Which people can get, can't they, on your Bandcamp uh, connection, yes. which we'll, we'll put a link, Jay, uh, beneath this podcast.
1: Brilliant. It's also coming out on iTunes and Spotify very soon. Great. Um, yeah. And there will be a vinyl edition um, when I can get somebody to manufacture one. Very I know, posh. I can't.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very classy. So listen, um, Jay, I'm right in saying I think that you were a Cambridge organ scholar.
1: I was, yeah, a choral, exi- uh, sorry, an organ exhibitioner, as they like to call it. But I, yeah, basically played hymns.
0: But, and a lot more, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, some other stuff.
0: Some other stuff. So how do you get from that, those kind of hallowed grounds of, of, of a Cambridge college music scene, to becoming a sound artist?
1: Well, um, it really started uh, at Orbeam Musicians when I was about 13. Um, I started going down to... Um, to Obra, um to do all sorts of different stuff. We did everything from film music to um, North Indian classical music, um, to fusion jazz, everything in between. And we did some field recording and we did some electronics as well. Um, and that's when I really got hooked on um, listening to things that weren't really supposed to be thought of as music, at least in the, in the way that I had been taught to think of them. Um, and then sort of fast forward, I did the music tripos at Cambridge for three years. And then out the other side, I started doing freelance composition and, um, I was really sort of drawn back into the field recording work. I did some, uh, I did a project in New York, um, last year and I started experimenting more and more with electronics. Um, and I remember discovering the work of Bernie Krause and, um, R. Murray Schaefer and, all that kind of stuff. So I, I sort of fell back into it after university.
0: That's fantastic you bring up the name of Bernie Krauss, because for those people who were able to listen uh, to my first podcast last week, his name was writ large across the biophony of Birdsong that we were exploring for that. How would you describe the role of a sound artist? What are you actually doing? Or should I say, what are you bringing to that definition? What's your interpretation?
1: What I want is for people to be excited, as I am, about field recordings um, and just the variety of amazing and, and unexpected sounds that are just kind of out there in the street um, for people to go and listen to. The more you listen and the more deep you, deeply you listen and, and, and the more attention you give to the soundscape around you, um, the more surprises you'll get, hopefully pleasant ones, all, all the surprises that I found were good ones.
0: Fantastic. Well, let's talk about the surprises of listening to storms because we had an example of a rainstorm that you recorded and there was a rumble, a threatening rumble of of thunder there. But you also overlaid it with some very well-chosen and very well-spaced piano chords. Shall we just talk about that area of your craft before we talk about the natural sounds, the found sounds themselves? Why do you want to put the piano sounds over the top?
1: Um, for a variety of reasons I think it, it really comes back to the idea that there are as many storms happening as there are people experiencing them, right? Like my storm is different from your storm even if we're on opposite geographical sides of it. I might be sitting cozy in my house with a blanket on and you might be without electricity, you know, trying to get your heating to work. Um, so that I think is one of the defining um, aspects of a storm to me is that it covers such a huge area and affects people in such different ways. Um, what I wanted to do by putting piano chords on top of it was to get at the idea that this is my subjective storm, like this recording is not an objective experience, it's um, it embodies how I was feeling when I took that recording and sort of my aim by putting stuff underneath that was to say not only is this a recording of a rainstorm but also here is how I was feeling when I took this recording pretty calm yeah <laughs> I mean I was underneath the eaves of the shed so I was fine
0: let's talk about storms generally uh, mm. are you drawn to storms and representing them in your work
1: Yes, I I really am. I think um there's something sublime about storms. Um I think there's something about a storm that says to you, you know, this is bigger than any of us. This is awe-inspiring, this is is humbling. Um there's this thing happening in the sky on an, on a ginormous scale and all we can do is hope and pray that, you know, we're all right. There's a bit
0: of a paradox here, isn't there? Um I want to put it to you that if you're drawn essentially to this protein unpredictability, the volatility of a storm and how it inspires awe in you and a sense of the other, the beyond, mm. uh, aren't you by recording it containing it in some way and actually mischaracterizing it?
1: Um, I think I am trying to contain it. Uh, I don't know if that means that I'm mischaracterizing it. I mean, it's essentially a, in some ways, it's a comforting tool, you know, for me to be able to capture a little piece of this thing, and be able to take it home and play with it. Um, that makes it a little bit, a little bit less scary for me, I guess. Um, in the same way that you know people um, have, for throughout the ages, made art from things that are incredibly painful and scary. Um, That's one of the reasons why I write music, um, is that it allows me to process things, um, sometimes much bigger and more scary and more emotional than a storm, but occasionally just um, seeing something that you can't quite explain or get your head around and wanting to go out and capture a little piece of it and take it home and and see what else you can make with it, I think is um, a really fun thing to do.
0: And when you personalise it to that extent... Mm. you take it out of its original context and you package it in a way that makes sense to you and your relationship to that experience and to that moment. Yeah. How do you want it to land with the general listener? What What are we supposed to get from that then personalised expression?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think what I'm expecting people to get is a sense of how, as I said before, of, of how I was feeling when I took the recording. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, you, you have to recognise that by presenting things in a certain way, you are saying something about the scope of what is possible when you present that thing. So, so by presenting a recording of a storm that is very calming, I'm not really saying storms can be damaging, destructive, which of course they can be. Um, I think for that we have to rely on a variety of different artists to be working you know, at the same time and in dialogue with each other. That's one of the reasons why I've donated all the proceeds from the album to Lensational, which is a charity that helps to um, train women in underrepresented um, ethnic groups, but also, you know, uh, um, underrepresented socioeconomic groups all across Southeast Asia and Africa um, in digital photography and videography um, as a way of helping them get their voices heard. And I think that's really important that we have people... Artists working on, um, you know, in the same world and in dialogue with each other, in a variety of ways, and that's really why I want to encourage people to take their own field recordings, um, and that's the entire point of this album: um, is that if there's a whole community of us hearing and making and sort of um, tinkering um, using the same uh, material on the, you know, on the same physical streets or the, or the same storm events. Um, then, you know, that's a way of achieving a a wide representation of what that event or that place means to a whole community of people.
0: It's a wonderful vision, and we must flag that up again, somehow, in a link. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, when, When we put this podcast up. Now, listen, as a sound artist, I want you to draw our listening gaze into the world of a storm. What might we perhaps notice that we haven't noticed before?
1: Um again I think it depends on where you are when you're listening to it. I remember my my very first memories of listening to storms were when I was uh, a kid growing up in rural Canada and we could see the thunderstorm approaching. We lived, we lived in Ontario's and uh, in a very flat area. Um and you could see the the thunderstorm approaching you for you know a good half hour before it arrived. Um, and there was that sense of uh, anticipation and build-up, and then it was there for a while, and then it was suddenly just sort of gone. Um, so I think with all art about storms, um, I think this goes for painting and poetry as well, um, there is a sense of progression because a storm is is such a complex event that unfolds over time. Um, mm. To me, that makes it uniquely suited to being... Um, Made into music but you know that's just me um but yeah
0: I don't think it is just you no I think many people would agree on that but you're right that there's this kind of a a gradual build-up um to the event but as well there is that suddenness isn't it I I love the fact that you bring up not just the suddenness of the arrival of the the lightning and thunder or the peak of the storm but also the suddenness with which it's dissipates.
1: Absolutely there's I mean in the last track of the album um, it is it is a kind of storm in that most of those recordings are taken from the last day I was in Hong Kong and that was the day of the district council elections in November 2019 which were incredibly politically charged everybody was on the streets Um, there was so much going on Um, and then I left the next day and that was it um, I was gone, I was back in Cambridgeshire. Um, and that's kind of reflected in the the end of the album, the end of the track. Um, it cuts off very suddenly, spoiler alert. Um, it, it builds up to this um, giant chaotic soundscape and then it's just gone. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a, a different progression, a different envelope to be heard in, in every instance of such a sort of massive event.
0: I love the way you describe it as an envelope of of sound. There's great (laughs) terminology coming in there. Jay Richardson, thank you so much for sharing those ideas with us and helping us to listen in a different way to these natural events. Again, please do check out Jay's album In the Concrete Silence. Uh, We'll put a link, as I say, to that on Bandcamp and elsewhere uh, beneath this podcast. Jay, thank you very much.
1: Brilliant. Thanks for having me.
0: That's all for this week. I hope you'll enjoy listening both to musical storms and actual storms in a different way now. Although, as I look out the window, there doesn't seem to be any chance of that in the near future. Anyway, I'll be back next week to look at the vast area that is the relationship between music and water. And for that, I'll be joined by Welsh landscape artist Sarah Jane Brown. Until then, happy listening.